Welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast, where we make it our goal each week to connect biblical truth with the current issues that we're facing every day as Americans uh, and bringing that light to every aspect of our lives, believing that the Christian worldview is superior and it brings blessing everywhere it goes. And I've been trying to trumpet that, my goodness, for all my life, but certainly in the last sermon series, I've been hitting that a lot, you know. Uh, our worldview brings blessing, and, and uh, that's why we can't keep it to ourselves. We have an obligation yeah, uh, to take it public. And we have so much feedback that this worldview, uh, this sermon series was so refreshing because of the clarity speaking of scriptures. Yeah, because we're doing something that uh, that uh, doesn't happen a lot in the church, and that's we we're actually have the audacity to believe that the Christian worldview mm-hmm. speaks about everything including government and uh, that's something that uh, is a is a controversial point in our culture today yeah, and in the church today today is considered controversial but as you've shown historically that hasn't been controversial no. in fact pastors have spoken historically has been the conscience of the state you know and that's something again we asked the question well uh, why would the church have anything to say about what's going on governmentally or politically of course we have a national election as you're watching this a national election only weeks away uh, and everybody's talking about the election everybody's talking about what's going on in our nation and and they should be it's it's a it's an, an issue of incredible significance and yet the question we really should be asking is why does the church have nothing to say about something that everybody has everything to say right. you know we've been saying you everybody's weighing in including right. corporations we just talk about different corporations have gone out of their way to endorse one or uh the, the other candidate and where churches are largely staying silent in the midst of all of this yeah. you know yep. and I, I think part of the reason is because the church uh dot into this kind of uh paradox that either, I mean, you, you describe in your sermon, either the church become a, a what do you call it, a jihadist church? Yeah. Uh, a, a Christian jihadist church, right? Right. right. These One were, extreme. These were, these were characteristics that I, uh, you know, kind of straw men. Yeah. Because yeah. basically... What we're saying is, and, and maybe you can relate, the church usually lands on one side uh, of the extreme yeah. or the other side of the extreme. Right. And and so I, call, I called it the Christian jihadist church. Yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> and, but the Christian jihadist church, mm-hmm. if I could share, is, it's, a, it's a false picture because let me just say this. I haven't found hardly any pastors that turn their churches into political machines, you know. Right. Uh, that's just not happening. We get that, you know, we've been accused of that at Living Stones just for having a voice. You know, but it's this idea that, that you know, uh, if we can just get the right person elected into office, they're going to solve all of our problems and America will live happily ever after. And it, it, it's kind of the... Uh, make an idol out of uh, politics, you know, Um, and, 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 you know, and of course those on the other side accuse the church of selling her birthright and, you know, that we're getting involved. It's a distraction. And why are you talking about politics? Just focus on the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And and so the Christian jihadist church is kind of like, it's the left's worst nightmare. It's the church that's fully engaged, that's making an impact, uh, and they accuse us of being a theocracy, right? Right, We're going to take over America and and force everybody to be Christians. And, of course, that's not 
true. I don't know of any pastor or any church that's that's taking that approach. So, so that's one extreme. Right. Well, basically seeing the elected official as the uh, replacement for a messiah. Sure. To worship the government, solve all our problems. Sure, you know? if we just get the right president, right. Right. then we don't need right. Jesus, you right. know, the president will make it. It's really a humanistic view that the church kind of have adapted in their zeal and, and that view. And like you said, we don't really know many churches, ourselves included, who are on that. Church. But that's that's the <laughs> criticism that of that one extreme, right? But right. what's the other extreme? Right. The other extreme is commonplace, and I think it is a major problem that we're facing in our culture today. Mm-hmm. I, I call it the evangelize, don't politicize church. Yeah. And the evangelize, don't politicize church says, you know, the church has no business talking about candidates or issues or any of these things. We just need to preach the gospel. And you've heard, you know, you've heard pastors say this. At our church, we just preach the gospel. Uh, The problem is the gospel, we have to ask the question, what is the gospel? And what is the gospel that you're preaching? And many times, unfortunately, that gospel is a very narrow gospel. It's, It's evangelism, get them saved. Right. But as I was reminded this past week, Jesus talked a lot more, not about evangelism, but talk about his kingdom. Yes. The kingdom of God coming. And Jesus didn't, you know, we talk about this, and I see this in pastors all the time. I can almost characterize them by simply asking this question. Many of them preach the gospel of salvation mm-hmm. only instead of, as you highlighted, the gospel of the kingdom. Yeah. The gospel of the kingdom is comprehensive. It, it, of course, it begins with a personal encounter with Jesus. Sure, it begins with, with evangelism. Yeah, with evangelism and, and then teaching people to obey what's in the word of God. Uh, but the gospel of the kingdom encompasses all of life. Absolutely. And we realize that, that Jesus is Lord over all. So he's Lord over our families, our marriages. He's Lord over our businesses. And he's certainly Lord over the governments of men because because the Bible says God created government. Yes. And so if God created government, then obviously he has something to say about it, and we should have something to say about it. Absolutely. But, but these pastors, many times they'll say, you know what, we'll pray for government, mm-hmm. but we certainly won't equip our people uh, with voting guides. Uh, we won't do voter registration at our church as a service, you know. Uh, we will not preach on political topics. We're just gonna, we're just going to preach through the Bible expositionally. Yeah. And again, there's nothing the matter with expositional preaching. Praise the Lord for it. Yeah. But when you have a major uh, event like a national election, and maybe you're preaching your way through, you know, I don't know, the Book of Joshua, or I don't know what it is. It doesn't matter. Um, the point is, if you're not talking about what is screaming in the ears of all of our people, I think what it does is it has a reverse effect. It makes the gospel irrelevant. Mm. Uh, and it says to our people that what we're doing here at church has nothing to do yeah. with real life. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, for us to put our heads in the sand and pretend like we're not having a national election and for the voice of the you know the pulpits to be silent yeah. is really a dereliction of duty uh, because it, it just... It screams irrelevance to our people because right. they're, what I found, and we found here at Living Stones, our people are looking for guidance. They hear the they hear mainstream media, yep. they hear all the talking heads, and what they're really looking for is, hey, could my pastor from the Word of God address these issues and help me connect the dots so I can be a good citizen right. and I could uh, I could actually be educated from a right. Christian worldview on what the issues are and what I should do about it. So many times pastors in the effort to be non-controversial, what they're doing is they're subtly communicating to their congregation that that the gospel is irrelevant to the greater. I mean, it's really a, 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 a gospel that is devoid of the kingdom. 
You're really diminishing the kingdom when you don't engage in this. Oh, yeah, we're, you know, I I like to joke around, honey, we shrunk the gospel, you know, like like the old kids movie, because we've made the gospel so narrow that basically it's get Jesus in your heart and someday you'll go to heaven. The rest of life and all that's taking place around us seems all of a sudden to fade out of out of focus. You know, it, what comes to mind, the example I have is, you know, even how I interact with, interact with my kids. You know, I bring my kids to church. I bring my kids. We do the Christian things. We pray before we meet, eat meals. Yeah. And, and But are they seeing that I'm pr- when we make decisions, you know, do they see us praying, asking the Lord to come into this seemingly little decision? Yeah. The, our kids see everything. And they see things so much beyond what we want to portray. So when we compartmentalize, the kids can clearly see. And I've been convicted of that. It's like, am I really taking, uh, is, is the kingdom of God really in every part of my life so that my kids can clearly see it? Yeah. That I don't have to tell them, oh, we live in the kingdom. They can see it and they live right. in it. You just don't do like religious things when you go to church for yeah, one hour exactly. on Sunday morning. Exactly. Uh, you're bringing Christ into every aspect of your life. Right. And, you know, so when kids are watching television and uh, they're seeing political commercial right. after political commercial. I mean, oh, we don't talk about that. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. What's, what's the framework to right. help them understand what does it mean to elect uh, the right person, a godly person, and, and what policies matter, and how do you, how does the Bible speak right. to these issues? That to me is what makes the gospel come alive. And you know, you know my background. I was a youth pastor for twelve years. My biggest concern was that when I taught Christian worldview, I saw the young people's uh, eyes come alive because all of a sudden they realized what God says something about government, yeah. God says something about psychology, sociology, because they're they're encountering these things at school. Right. Right. But they're never hearing a, a God-centered perspective on those issues. And, and my conviction in this is the kingdom of God is so awesome, so powerful. Jesus described the kingdom of God as a pearl of great price. I remember that parable. And that's yeah. resonated in me a lot recently. Like this guy would literally find the pearl of great price. He went and sold everything he had to buy that field because he knew that whatever... Yeah. Whatever the cost was, cost was, it's nothing compared yeah. to the kingdom of God. And we and Jesus has given us access into not just evangelism, not just salvation, but to his kingdom yeah. on earth. And we have squandered it because we don't truly understand that or we don't want to be controversial. Yeah. That to me is crazy. Yeah, and, and really when you look at it, the gospel is such good news and it's, it is the pearl that we need to be making sure we're speaking in every dimension of life because when we speak and when we speak truth, yeah. it brings blessing to people. And you know, I, that that was what I tried to bring out. I'm not beating up on pastors today because we've had a you know we've had for pastors 2020 has been a rough year <laughs> uh, with just COVID and trying yeah. to navigate. You know, right. what do we do and and how do we lead and what's the right thing to do? And now you pile on top of that right, a national election, election <laughs> where it's many pastors <laughs> many pastors are like, oh, that's all I need is a national election on top of all the other controversy that's going on. You know, but what we highlighted was, you know, for me, as a pastor, I felt like the only thing I ever was asked to do was publicly was bless the chicken, you know? Um, And I I, I make that phrase uh, jokingly because what I mean is, you know, we might be asked at a public event to open in prayer, but even that's becoming a rarity. Um, and so what I would want to challenge spiritual leaders who might be watching is why have we allowed the voice, the prophetic voice of the church and especially the pulpit to be so compromised 
to where today, if we even speak to those issues, we're viewed as, wait a minute, you're stepping out of your bounds. You're, right. you're, 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 you're getting out of your, your, your little box that we put right. you in as a culture. And for me, it's like the passion you know, for God's glory and just for the sake of, what, of the calling. Why would I allow myself to become a professional chicken blesser when God has called us to thunder his truth in every Absolutely. arena of life? And yet we're so silenced today, well, you know. Can I just read this part? Yeah. Martin Luther has said that human nature is like a drunkard trying to ride a horse. He gets on and falls off the left side. He resolved not to make that mistake. So he remounts, careful to avoid falling off the left, and he promptly falls off the right. <laughs> and I think that's what these boxes, the left and right boxes that society has grouped a group of sin. Either you're a jihadist church and you're all about religion and, uh, and politics, or you're the one who, you know, want to remain non-controversial, non-political, and being very political in the process and don't engage in all. Yeah, touch, on, touch on that, because that's a good point. You know, a lot of times we'll hear pastors say, well, we're not political at our church. Yeah. But really, yeah, you are political. Yeah, by not being political, you are being political because you are attempting to not offend, to not stir things up, not engaging in something is making a choice. To not engage is still a choice. Yes. To not engage is still speaking. Yes, you know? and, and you know, historically, you and I were chatting about this, and, and this is good to keep in mind. Pastors by nature, we tend to be shepherds, we, we're, we're peacemakers, we're, we, we, we love unity, and all those things have their place. But we were saying historically, revival comes on the heels of controversy. Yeah. Because controversy forces us to say what matters. And controversy brings clarity because when we, the very issue of controversy is, wait a minute, what is the truth here? And on which side of this matter, you know, am I going to land? And it forces you to draw a line in the sand and to, and to determine what do we believe? And, you know, that's a good thing for the church uh, to say, hey, this is the truth about this issue. And when you, when you're forced to, to find that plumb line and then to speak the truth, that's usually on the opposite side of controversy is where revival breaks out and where reformation happens Absolutely. because people go, yeah, I want to know what's right. And yes, that is wrong. And I'm forced to make a stand. And unfortunately, a church that doesn't drop the plumb line of scripture on these issues uh, and, and avoids the controversy for political reasons or for keeping the peace or for whatever, um, that church is really not helping our people think clearly or live clearly. Right. And, and this is, the again, going back picture of the drunkard trying to go one side or the other, whereas what we are looking to do is just to sit upright in the tension point. I don't want to say we're compromising to the left or right or whatever. The tension point, which we don't worship the state, right. but we also prophetic, prophetically do our duty to speak truth and be the conscience of the state yes. and to promote the kingdom of God in all aspects. And that stands, I think, very few ch- church under... Uh, understands and because it's a tension point and people accuse you one or the other and try to throw you off and we're just saying no historically that's what pastors have done they haven't been grouped into these boxes either the left side of the horse or the right side of the horse they they were the community thought leaders yeah i mean they they were the ones that were leading the way in in crystal clear thinking and taking the scriptures and as you pointed out as one of my favorite quotes uh from uh from Martin Luther King Jr., uh, that the church, if, it, if we lose our prophetic voice, we've, 
and we're not the conscience of the state as we've been called to be, we become an irrelevant social club. Yeah. And that's where many churches are today. We're, we're irrelevant social clubs. Um, and, and now with COVID, we're not even a social club because we're not even allowed to get together. <laughs> and we're going to stay at home, right? That's a sore so, spot. So, yeah. yeah, that's another sore spot. But anyway, uh, you know, God for, you know, in my heart, it's like, God forbid yeah. that we would ever be thought of as an irrelevant social club when when again when you look at the pulpits of the colonial times they were thundering with truth they were leading the way they were laying the moral infrastructure for a revolution and they were pointing out tyranny and saying this is wicked this is where government is overstepping its bounds and they were quick to point that out and to push back and we just don't see the pushback today we don't see pastors dealing with these issues head on uh, there's lots of reasons for that, but I'm saying that when we fail to do that, there's consequences. And I identified three consequences. You know, I said, and, and, it, and it was uh, Reverend, Reverend John Witherspoon, who was one of the signers of both the Declaration and of the Constitution, uh, and one of the leaders, the man who, who discipled many of the government leaders, he discipled them in, in his church every Sunday because he preached on these issues. Um, but it was John Witherspoon who gave this definition. He said, government exists for the glory of God and the good of the people. I like it. Isn't that simple? Yeah. Everything exists for the glory of God, yeah. including government. So we say government exists for the glory of God. That's the vertical dimension. But then good government blesses people, not just Christian people. Everybody. Everybody. Right. And so... Um, we have a moral responsibility to engage for, for, for three reasons. First of all, for the glory of God. Government was created by God. Government exists for God's glory. And our job is to make sure that there is a God-centeredness in government. And that, like John the Baptist, you know, John the Baptist went up to a wicked king and said, hey, your sex life is inappropriate. Yeah. What, what you're yeah. doing is wrong yeah. and it's wicked. Uh, well, that king wasn't a believer, uh, and you know right. what? John the Baptist lost his head over it. Yep. But that was the prophetic role of the church to speak to power and to say what you're doing is wrong or to praise those in authority and say, great job, what you're doing is right. Yes. But there's a the glory of God is at stake in how uh, governments operate. And the church should be the one constantly pointing government leaders and reminding them that they have delegated authority that comes from God Almighty that they're going to stand before God someday and give an account for how they've discharged that, and that good government should be God-honoring. And so when the church is silent, when we don't get involved at all, uh, the first thing that that we lose is the glory of God. And God forbid, I mean, we should all be concerned about God's glory. Second thing is the good of the people. And, And so here's the question we brought up. How can the church stay out of politics if politics is all about our common life together. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, are we just going to hide in the four walls of our right. churches and have, right. and have our little irrelevant social club? Yeah. Is there anything that politics does not touch these days? Politics has touched... Now, now more than ever, politics has touched everything. I mean, sports used to be immune to politics. Oh, yeah. Now we get political mm, messages Political there. messages all How about over. about corporate America? Corporate America. I, I don't have television. I don't get network TV or whatever. In my house, I went to a conference. They had a hotel. I turned on TV just to watch Food Network or whatever. <laughs> I watched three minutes of commercial. I turned it off. Yeah. Couldn't handle it. It's all over in your face. Is it going to affect education? Oh, it's yeah. It's going to affect your kids. It's going to affect 
your even, job, your workplace. Even if the post office weighed in on who the, who their candidate is. I mean, every every dimension of society has become so politicized. Our job is not to become political, but our job is to understand that the good news of the gospel blesses people, and it certainly informs good public policy. Yeah. And bad public policy hurts people. Good public policy blesses people. Right. And if we are so convinced and so committed, and I am, mm -hmm. that the Christian worldview is superior, in other words, you can compare it with any other comprehensive view of reality, and our worldview is superior. Why? Because it brings the truth to bear on all of life, and it brings blessing everywhere it goes. So why would I want to keep that to myself? It's like if you and I were the two beggars, you know, in the scripture that were in town and the the, the famine's happening and everybody's starving, yeah. and all of a sudden we go, hey, well, we're going to stay here and starve, or we can just go face the enemy and, you know, hey, the worst thing that can happen is they'll kill us. We can starve to death or they'll kill us, right? Yeah. And you remember the story. They went out and God had already dealt with the enemy and all the riches of the enemy were laying there. They had as much yeah. food as they wanted. They had gold. They had everything. And they looked at each other. They said, we can't keep this all to yeah, ourselves. We're going to let that starving city know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, let's go back to these people starving and let them know there's bl there's blessing. There's plenty. There's food. To me, that's what the church is. It's like, you know, we, we have the, the, the pearl of great price like you just talked about. Why would we keep this to ourselves? Uh, we, in fact, we cannot keep this to ourselves. We must go out and engage because if we truly love our neighbor, and you hear a lot of pastors talking about love your neighbor. Well, how about love your neighbor by helping them uh, at the voting booth? How about loving your neighbor by, by sharing with them the superior truths we have on life, on marriage and family, on gender, on economic policy, on taxation? I mean, the list goes on and on and on because yeah. the Bible speaks about all these things. Yeah. But Pastor, I know this stuff could be super intimidating, okay? Like you, like we talked about, right now, uh, uh, the, the divisiveness in our culture is so toxic. Yeah. So toxic. And I can understand many people just saying, I don't want anything to do with this. Just looking at this makes me want to throw up. I can resonate. Uh, the best thing I can do is just not even get engaged in this, right? What would you say to somebody like that? Someone who loves Jesus, loves God, but they're just totally turned off by the divisive culture. You yeah. Know? Well, okay, so what, so what are our options? Yeah. yeah. So so our option is do nothing. And I'm just going to ask you, if do, does do nothing <laughs> uh, detoxify the culture? No, no. not at all. No. Or you can say, well, well I'm not going to do anything, but I'm just going to just love people. Okay, well, how do you love people? I mean, if someone's house is burning down, do you let them know, hey, your house is burning down, or do you bake cookies for them while they, you know, while they <laughs> right. burn up? I right. mean, you know, right. sometimes, our, what does it mean to love your neighbor? Yeah, I, I think certainly it means that we're civil and we're kind and we're compassionate. And, yeah. and at the end of the day, if I disagree with you politically, I can still love you. I right. mean, I can model all those Absolutely. things. Absolutely. But how about this? How about let's bring a solution? Yeah. How about good. let's do the hard work of jumping into that toxic cesspool, which has become modern politics. Yeah. And and let's have a voice at at the bare minimum. How about this? Which is the third point we talked about, you know, Sunday, was let's steward the incredible freedom and responsibility that we've been given. I mean, we get to vote. Yeah. We get to we get to influence people. We get to talk about this openly. We're not in a dictatorship yet. You know, we, we have an opportunity to to change things. Mm -hmm. 
and and to discuss important issues. And 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 I believe this with all my heart. You know, we can lament the fact that as many people are that while we have two candidates that are compromised, uh, each of them have you know characteristics or qualities that you could go, wow, that's I don't know as a Christian if I fully support that. But my point is this: How did we get to this situation? Like, why don't we have stellar, godly candidates who are competent to lead and have the character to back it up? Yeah. Why did? How have we got to this place? And I would suggest that the church is to blame for that because if discipleship is teaching people to obey all things and equipping people for life, yeah. shouldn't we also be equipping people? to govern and lead in the public arena. And where should that equipping take place? I believe it should be taking place in the local church. So we've been talking about compartmentalizing church and state, compartmentalizing sacred and secular. And I feel like largely church has ignored that training. You know, we train people for ministry. We train people to be life group leaders. Again, it's very, very, very focused. Narrow. Are we training kingdom people for the marketplace? Are we training kingdom people who have a political call, who has a governmental call, yeah. has a servant call, to go on and actually serve people. Yeah, so, that's you know, good. You and I talked about like election cycle. Our engagement election cycle has been every like four years or two, two years, years or yeah. whatever it is. No, it should be an all year round thing because we're constantly training, constantly cultivating, constantly sharing vision about the kingdom of God. And for people to rise up to realize they have a ministry, their call to whether it's marketplace or to the governing realm should be as great as a call as someone who's called to the church. Sure. In fact, we, you know, when you look in the Bible, we ask this question, how many people in the Bible were, quote, political figures? You know? <laughs> yeah. There's almost, I guess it could be argued, there's probably more political or marketplace figures than there are church people, yeah, like pastor like, types. Yeah. I mean, no, of course, we got the Apostle Paul and people like that. But what about Daniel? What about Joseph? What about David? What about all the uh, the kings we see through yeah. the books of, you know? Uh, my name, my son's namesake, Nehemiah. Oh, yeah. what a great example. Yeah. And these are, these are stellar uh, pictures of godly character. Uh, you know, you talk about Daniel. It's hard to find somebody with a greater personal character or testimony about his life than Daniel. Yeah. Or how about Job? You know, Job was a marketplace guy, yeah. and yet he was incredibly godly. And uh, and again, God bragged on on right. his servant Abraham, Job. Abraham, all those guys. So again, yeah. you know, when you look at the Bible, there, you cannot get away from politics. Here's why, because politics deals with the common uh, uh, experience in our communities, yeah. in our nation, and, and as we shared, you know, our leader, our national leader, whether it's the president or a governor of our state, their leadership touches every citizen. Should not we be concerned that that person has been equipped and trained and vetted and that loves the Lord and that has policies that line up with the scriptures on the important issues? Uh, of course we should. That's so important. But yet we we almost act like that's not the, the, the purview of the church. Yeah. And, I, and we do that to our demise, you know, and that's why we're living, I think, in the, in the incredibly toxic arena that we have now. Yep, the toxicity is largely because we are supposed to be salt of the earth. I was just reading that the other day, talking about the salt, and the salt really speaks to purpose. The salt has a very specific purpose, and when the salt loses that specific purpose, you don't use it for anything else. You don't use it as paperweight. You don't use it as, I don't know, sandbox. I don't know, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. It's kitty litter. You don't use it. It loses its purpose. Yep. When the church loses its purpose, which is to engage, which, which is in ushering the kingdom of God, we are good for nothing. Yeah. And there's a, there's a stern warning to that concept. And when the culture loses the salt, 
uh, loses the flavor. We see the toxicity we have in our, in our engagement today, and we curse the toxicity, whereas we see the church keep retreating from that toxicity. Absolutely. No, that's a paradox. Yeah. Does that make sense? So, so the whole call to be salt and to be light, you know, salt, the whole preservation of what we have in mm -hmm. light, bringing the truth of God's word to bear, shining the light on policies, on situations, on truth, exposing truth, exposing yeah. corruption. I mean, these are all important things that not the church as an institution does, but God's people. Yeah. Uh, the church is the place where we come to get encouraged and we, we speak to these issues. And I cannot tell you, you know, uh, <clears throat> the series that we did prior to this um, uh, dealt with the, the, the church not succumbing to the pressures of modern life. Mm. Uh, and us keeping our lives pure and living under the authority of Scripture and all these important things. Like, we got to live it. We got to be it. But this next message that we followed it up with, uh, dealing with unalienable and, and the, the, the whole uh, notion of how do we uh, maintain the liberty and the freedoms that we've been given, what I'm finding is people are responding uh, incredibly positively because what they're saying is, Pastor, thank you for talking about these issues. Pastor, thank you for addressing these issues head on. And all I would say to any pastor that's watching is, you know what, you would be surprised to hear from your people how, how hungry they are for their spiritual leader to speak truth to these issues and to speak boldly and fearlessly. In fact, that was one of my quotes was how the early church, or not early church, the, the revolutionary church, mm -hmm. pastors during the revolutionary season, the pulpits were, were full of, uh, of thunder and lightning and they were led by men who were bold and fearless. And I just asked the question, if you do word association, word association game, and we said, pastors, what comes to your mind when you say the word pastor? I would venture to say very few people would say bold and fearless, mm. that, that that's what comes into mind <laughs> yeah. when they think of their pastor. Right. And yet that is exactly what uh, the revolutionary uh, church pastors were like. They were bold, they were fearless, and they spoke the truth knowing that as soon as they did, they were on the wanted list, yeah. and they were going to probably be hung publicly, you know, hung if they were captured. By England. Yeah. By England, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we're not just talking about uh, trying to be cute or trying to be popular or trying to boost their social media presence. Right. No, these people spoke the truth knowing it, would, it could cost them their life. Right. Right. And, and, and again, I mean, that's how much, number one, they love the truth yeah. and they love freedom. And, and if we're going to preserve the freedom that we've enjoyed in America for these 200-plus years, it, it, the church has got to be engaged. That's the message, I think. Amen. Amen. And I think that resonates with so many people who are looking in, in this crazy season, which everyone feels disoriented to a certain degree. They're looking for clarity. They're looking for direction. I certainly am. Yeah. So I would encourage anybody that's that's watching. If you've not, you know, if you've uh, enjoy us online and you're not local, you're not able to come and hear in person. I would encourage you to to get on our website at lstones.org. We have a media page there. You can access uh, our YouTube link or check the YouTube, YouTube link, link as well. Yeah, it's on the lstones.org, and you can check out our sermon series and. And, uh, and just check it out. We, we're, we're giving lots of great quotes uh, from our founding, uh, founding fathers and leaders uh, uh, throughout the history. We're also talking about some great uh, political uh, or pulpit political engagement that I think is a good model for us to keep, as Pastor Anderson, from falling off like the drunkard on one side yeah. or the left. You know, we need to ride this horse of political engagement, yeah. and we need to ride it well, and we need to ride it right into the battle. Right. 
uh, lest, again, we lose the liberties that we've enjoyed for so long. And so I encourage you to, to check that out. We also appreciate it when you take the time to respond to these podcasts because uh, it lets us know, are we hitting the mark? Is this good? Or help us flesh some things out. You know, next week we'll, we'll continue this discussion because that will be leading right up to the, to the election itself. And uh, we're going to continue to speak into these situations uh, from a Christian worldview perspective. So again, communicate with us. We'd love to, uh, to respond and stay engaged uh, and, and keep the dialogue uh, open and flowing. So any, any last comments from your heart? No, I think I shared everything that's on my heart. You know? What do you say we, uh, we close by joining together right now? And let's pray for America. Let's pray for this election. Let's pray for God's will to be done. Amen. Mm-hmm. Father, thank you for the privilege of stewarding these freedoms and liberties that you've given to us. Lord, as the church, first of all, as pastors, we pray for our pastors across America today that they would be encouraged. I know this has been a rough year and we've run into all kinds of things that we never anticipated, we've never had to deal with before. Even our churches are divided um, uh, on a lot of issues right now, our people, and, and, and it is a time for clarity. So I just pray for supernatural Holy Spirit clarity to preach the word and to connect the dots for people. And I pray for unity in our churches. I pray for boldness in our pulpits. And Lord, we just pray for America, for a great spiritual awakening that would happen in the midst of this incredibly toxic soil that we have. Lord, bring people together, bring hearts together, uh, unite us around the truth of the gospel once again in America. And Lord, we're praying for a great harvest of people as things continue to be shaken, Lord, let people turn their hearts to you. Jesus, you are the the Lamb of God. You are the King of glory. You are the one who the governments of this world will be placed upon your shoulders. And so, Jesus, we don't look to any human being to solve our problems. We know that that you are the only one big enough to deal with the problems we're facing. So, Jesus, be magnified and be glorified through your people. And Lord, uh, do your amazing work as only you can do it. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Thanks for watching us today. Hey, let's go out and be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Let's go out and be part of the unification of our nation, uh, not part of this toxic culture that we have. All right. So uh, uh, look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great week.